My daddy's gone on, my grandpa's gone on, my great-grandpa's gone on. But they still live. You know, the, the spray is still here. Well, they tell me of a home where no storm clouds rise. Tell me of a home far away. Well, hello and welcome, everybody. You're listening to It Still Lives, the Foxfire podcast, taking you on a journey through Southern Appalachia, one story at a time. I'm your host, Cami Ahrens, and this month we are taking a look at some really great hunting stories. As many of you know, late October, early November often brings the start of hunting season. In Georgia, deer season begins late October, continuing through the winter. But we're going to be looking at some stories that come from a time before hunting seasons when people depended on game to supplement their daily meals. What's interesting is when I was looking through the archives to find these stories, most people did not talk about hunting deer. Deer was not as common as a game as other things such as bear, turkey, raccoon, hog. All of those were talked about more in the oral histories that we have here. So we're going to be visiting with three people today, Taylor Crockett, Minyard Connor, and Jake Waldroop. And I got to say, I listened through hours and hours of oral histories, and it was incredibly difficult to pull out just a few for this podcast today. Some people were really reluctant to share their hunting stories and would only answer their stories after they were urged on by the eager Foxfire students. Minyard Connor was one of these. The students kept asking him, tell us a story, Minyard, tell us a story. And he was so shy because of the recorder. He knew that the recorder was on. Had the recorder been off, the students made it sound like he would ramble on and on and on about his hunting tales. So he finally gets visited by a friend and together the two of them start to draw out some pretty fantastical hunting tales. If we're looking at these from a folklore perspective, they really um, share an interesting side of the context. So we get a lot of these big fish tales that come out. And if you listened all the way back to our very, very first podcast, we have one of these fantastical tales of an animal encounter that Stanley Hicks shares with us, and that's the story of the stinger snake. I gotta say, one of Minyard's stories made me think of the stinger snake tale because it's just too wild to be true. He talks about shooting at some turkeys, and the only thing that he's able to knock off is the turkeys from, from their feet. And so he climbs up on this limb, and as he goes up on this limb, he ties each turkey to a rope that's then tied to himself, and then the turkeys get a notion to take off. And so we have this image of Minyard being literally flown through the air with a bunch of turkeys like balloons. Um, and I'll save the rest to surprise you from there, but we can see how these hunting tales easily become muddled with what we would consider more of folklore or fantastical stories. But then we also get some more practical and realistic advice from people like Jake Waldroop, who shows us what a turkey call sounds like and how to hunt and trace turkeys. We also have a couple of interesting statements from Taylor Crockett and Jake Waldroop about the importance of the woods to people's daily lives and how nature provided for people 
in some of the most remote and often challenging settings. But back then, people knew how to work with the land and knew how to depend on the animals and plants around them. The reason they aren't restricted by hunting seasons is even though people are depending heavily on game resources, they also know how to hunt sustainably. So they only take what they need, except for maybe bear hunting. But even when they did hunt a bear, one of the stories I wasn't able to include because of poor audio quality was a tale about how every time a bear was caught, the person who caught the bear would share the meat with everybody in that community. So we're looking at hunting from a much more sustainable perspective um, and definitely a sharing out of resources. Anyway, I hope you enjoy these tales and find them as entertaining as I did. You asked, asked me, did we get anything out of the woods to eat? Well, uh, some of the people that were, that didn't raise so much, maybe enough stock and live close, closer into the woods did depend on the woods quite a bit. For what they ate, they would, uh, Catch nearly any kind of game they could, such as groundhog, raccoons, and dry them, smoke them, dry them, and could uh, keep them through the pretty well through the winter that way. Of course, uh, while they were still deer and bear, they depended on the on that more than they did the smaller game. They used the smaller game that long told the when the other got scarce or scarcer. When uh, when they went back in the mountains to look after their hogs, of course, as we killed turkeys and squirrels and caught coons for the sport of it as well as for the food value. I know I can think of one occasion when we were on a trip to feed our hogs and in cold weather when the Snow was on the ground, and the food got a little scarce. Why, to keep the hogs doing well, to keep them from starving, keep them kind of gentle, we'd take a little feed, feed out there and hunt them up. We were on a trip like this one time and uh, found a bunch of old sows and shoats, and there was, there was an enormous big wild boar with them. Well, we didn't want to. We didn't want him with them because we we were afraid he'd lead their young hogs off and make them wild too. So we had to figure to get rid of him. And we'd like to do it to, in a way to have some fun out of it. So we went back and got two or three of our catch dogs. Because the dog we had with us that day was just a little dog that just was we used just to hunt for the hogs and to bay the tame hogs. When we found a wild hog, we had to get a little rougher dog. So this fellow's with me. He had the one that was pretty rough, and I had one too. And we went and got him and came back. And the dogs took the track, and pretty soon we heard them bayed. And Fellas with me says, that's bound to be the big hog, says old John wouldn't be, wouldn't bark if it wasn't, he'd just catch him. So we lit out running till we caught up to where the, we could hear the dogs barking, and sure enough, they had the big bull bead. 
He weighed about 350, 400 pounds and had great big bristles. And was a wicked looking fella. And he's standing there chomping his teeth, popping his teeth. And, and old John, he'd caught him all right, but he'd cut old John. He's standing there with a big gash in his side. And we didn't have a gun. We generally didn't, just depended on catching one of them and tying him with a rope. And we'd take him in and keep him a while, you know, and maybe use him. Mm-hmm. But this was just a little too much of a customer for that, so we studied about what do we do. And we took off again, and this fellow had a short club, sort of like a baseball bat, that he just here before we'd gotten every hog we got after pretty easy, and he just made the brag that he could catch. He and old John and that club could handle any hog there was. Well, he had his club, so we lit out, and we got over there, and the hog had gone back under a little rock cliff, and there was just a little narrow trail leading into it. And the old dog was standing in that trail at the mouth of kind of a semi-cave and barking in there. And the young dog, out of mind, he'd gone round below and climbed up, was peeping over through some bushes barking. And I thought, well, now that dog's got sense. I'll do the same thing in place of getting right where that hog might run over me. So I climbed around, peeped in, and I noticed the, my, my buddy, he's standing right in the mouth of the den, right in the trail. And I said, you better watch that hog will get after you directly. And about that time, I said, here he comes. And he ran out, and, and my friend, he cut, he didn't have anywhere to go. He was standing there on the side of that little rock cliff, and he just went to running straight up and down in place. He wasn't going anywhere, but he was going <laughs> through the motion. And he forgot about his club, and the big hog passed him and just made a made a pass at him, and the big old tooth hooked into his overall lip and just took the whole, cut his overalls in two. <laughs> I asked him why he didn't use his club. He said he forgot about it. And the last we saw of that hog, he was jumping a big tree lap with a big old tail standing out behind him. But that, we counted that as fun as well as uh, kind of taking care of our hog. When a pioneer family would come in to an area and they did, they couldn't bring but just, you know, a few things, if they had to bring just one thing, that was really important that they'd have to have, maybe, um, what would be that thing, most important thing they could have? Well, the, of course, the most important thing, the first, was their rifle. The next was their axe. And the next was something to cook mm-hmm. in. That was the three main items that they, they considered essential. That pot from a, from a skillet, the axe and the rifle. Do you think, you know, when people came in to an area or something, that do you think nature was a good provider for people if they knew how to take advantage of it? I mean, you know, like if, if somebody came in and they didn't have much and they had to live off the woods for a while? Well, that's, of course, one of the things they were looking for is a spot where nature did look like it was a good provider, or there evidence of a lot of game, and the timber was big, and uh, which would indicate that the ground was rich and would grow good crops. So, yes, I'd say you, you, you 
would say that nature was a good provider for those that were willing to work and understood how to cash in on it. I mean, you tell us what kind of dogs and what kind of places you hunt bar and stuff at. Most of the time, pot dogs. What kind of places do you hunt? Well, whether it's apple, berries, or huckleberries, is also good. What time of day do you go? Anytime you take an ocean. Well, what do you do when the dogs get after one? Do you go to another place or do you try to follow the dogs or what? Well, no. You have to get them up uh, like you's, for instance, say you're going up Donald's Creek. Get a bar up there, somebody have to get out on top. Turn his dog loose up there. Put the dogs at it and then somebody up above on each side. They can hear the dogs coming and cut him off. Shoot him. Way back then when I was small, small boy. Had an old hog rifle. You know, muzzle loader. Yeah. And you just had one loading and you'd have to reload him. Laid my gun up on the shoulder. <laughs> Started up in the mountains and just kept getting puttered and puttered back. And uh, wanted to kill something for dinner, have for Thanksgiving, a turkey or something. And uh, I seen some turkey sign. I kept fooling around at them. Directly, I scared them up. They all flew up on a limb up in a tree. I just had one shot. I looked up there and I sighted the biggest. I think to myself, I ought to get more than just one. So many turkeys. I decided I'd shoot and bust the limb, you know, split the limb. I shot it. <laughs> and the limb split and the toes all went down through there and there they was, up up by all catch with their toes down in the limb. <laughs> well, I just set my gun down, up the tree I went. Come up there and I had a rope in my pocket. I slipped out a little ways, tied the rope around me, and I took a hold of one turkey and I tied him to my rope and I jerked him out of the limb, eased on up a little more, and tied another. I gave him a jerk and out he come. I had two, eased on out there's another, you know. Tied him and I jerked him out. And about that time they began to flop. Just the wings are going every which way. Directly they got me up in the air and here I went. I was just going over one ridge and over another. Directly I was coming pretty close to the top of the timber. I took my knife and I cut that to swing into them trees. I went down into an old holler stump and just kept going on down, down, hit the ground directly. There's a big old holler tree. <clears throat> Felt something sort of warm down there around my feet. I kept feeling my feet, you know, and it just is warm around there. And uh, I reached my hands down and took hold of them. I got to feel them and seen this cup bars, just small and just been born. I throwed my head back and said, oh, Lord, that old barrel getting me right in here. Directly I heard something come and hit the tree, just rap, 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 rap. 
climbing up, and I think she'd come right down head, I thought she'd come down head first, you know. But she got up there, and uh, she wheeled around, and here she comes down backwards, coming back and down, just backing down the tree. She backed down, and I grabbed her with that short stub's tail and lapped, lammed my knife in her, and she started up the tree with me. Went up to the top, and she went off one way, and I went off the other. They brought the old mule up there, and I left. <laughs> <laughs> way back when I was growing up up there in the Smoky Mountains, is they'd uh, kind of got out of dogs. And a fellow by the name of Stall Cup, he'd decided to order him some. And he'd seen some advertise up in well, from Virginia, he sent and he bought them. Brought them down and his big old dogs. And this old boy, he'd, he'd talk funny and he couldn't hardly understand him. Lots of time. And he was telling us about getting his dogs, and taking them out to the woods. <clears throat> he said he got, said that old big old dog come in and said when he got and then he said he took them way up in the Smoky Mountains. He said he took them down in a big cold. And, and said he went on going along and said directly he found an old bear's track. And said he uh, kept looking along where the old bear had been. And said directly he stuck his fingers down, hissed his dog, said, Game boy. Said the old dog, he just fell over and went to barking and scratching like the bear went in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> we went we went one time and uh, there was some boys. We was out went out to feed up feed our hogs, you know, mm -hmm. in the back here in the Nady Haley's up in the Frog Mountain, and they'd come a wild boar. Had got into their gentle hog, so he run some boys up a tree, and uh, they had they they stayed treed along in the evening, and some of the older ones come into the camp, and they hollered and went up and got him scared away. So the next morning, why we rounded up a posse and we went in to gonna capture him. So uh, I had a plot hen. She is really a catch dog. She'd just catch. Any hog it might near it ever walk the mountain. Oh. So this when the first put the dogs on this hog, why well, they run right down in the edge of Laura and they bait him and he made a lunge at one big dog and killed him, cut him down, and he bled to death right there on the ground. Well, I tied mine. I wouldn't let her in. So they went to bay him and they'd get in and he'd go bomb and they'd get shots at him and they shot him they shot him with shotguns about twenty-four times. And never did stop him. He had great thick shields on his shoulders, you know. Uh -huh. And them shot wouldn't uh, penetrate deep enough through that to kill him. So he'd fit the dogs, the other two dogs down, they'd fit him just about all day. And they they got on to me to turn, call mine Con, to turn Con loose, and I finally <clears throat> agreed and turned her loose, and he went out up the river, up past Harrican Creek, turned up through and was going up Harrican Creek, and uh, 
she she caught him up on the fall where he was trying to climb them falls on Harrikin Creek and he come back down through us and there's an old fella with an old fashioned double barrel muzzle loading shotgun and he had it loaded with buckshot. And the old hog come right down to him and he shot him and killed him. So hmm. that uh, I always remember that. That that was was quite it was quite a the yeah. chase we had after <laughs> after that old feller. I called up and killed lots of wild gobblers, wild turkeys. Uh -huh. I remember one time I went uh, from the Black Gap. Some more fellers were women. We went out and fished up Little Buck Creek, and uh, we'd caught about seventy-five speckled little speckled trout. Mm -hmm. So we. Hiked back up on top of the Kimsey Ball is the hit is the twentieth day of March, and uh, I told now we'd see if we could hear a gobbler. So I went out over the ball, what they call the head of the dismal, and I owled. I could owl like a hoot owl, uh -huh. and I owled, and this old gobbler he answered me. We down the coast. So I, I got the boys and come back. Went back around the surrounding, stayed on the backside, and we went to the camp. I got to put them in the camp and told them to stay there, so I went back up on the ridge, sort of opposite to where he was at, and up to about the time the sun went down. Mm -hmm. And I laid there in a the beech thicket, and directly he went to gobbling right down under me, and I heard him fly up. He went up on his roost. Well, when he went up on his roost, why, well, I yelped a time or two like a hen turkey. Uh -huh. And oh, he is just, he is just a rare and a goblin. So I went back the next morning, got in my blind, got to where I was gonna call him out. And uh, the owls hooted and the robins sang and different rackets took place and I heard nothing out of him. Directly there's some hogs off down in the cove and they had a bell on. The old sow, she got up and she shook her head and rattled that bell, ting-a-ling-a-ling-a-ling, that bell went and... So that old gobbler, he, he went to roaring then. And he flew, he flew from me, he flew way over on another ridge. And he hit the ground and when he, when he went down, when he went to gobbling again, why, I called to him, yelled like a hen, and he answered me twice. Well, I just got ready and laid still. I knew he'd come. They'd come right to that spot. And I guess it's about 10 or 15 minutes. And I hear him coming, strutting out, you know, like he'd strut them wings on the ground. He walked out in about 20 steps of me, and I give him the load in the head, and that was it for him. <laughs> What you what you want to do, what we always did in the spring of the year, we'd pretty well know, you know, you could see where they'd scratch the leaves and where they're feeding. Uh -huh. And in the spring of the year, you know, they'd pick off them ramp leaves and eat them. And uh, you'd, uh, we'd always go back in the late in the evening, about sundown, when between sundown and dusk of dark, and he'd fly up on his roost. You'd hear him go to roost. Well, then we'd try to get to a, close to point to him as we could like to be to a gap. He'd love to come out into a gap. And there, I sometimes would get a 
log or if there's a tree in fell, if there's any tree left or limbs, get in there and sort of lay a little brush and stuff out in front of you, you know, mm-hmm. and zip your gun through that. Now, you couldn't move that gun, you couldn't bat an eye. Now, that turkey gobbler could really see you. And uh, so, if he answered you, if he gobbled to you, when you yelped to him, and he gobbled as many as much as twice, why, you could might be assured, if you didn't get him excited no way, why, he'd come right to that spot. So he'd just, he'd not, he, if there's some brush or limbs in front of you, to sort of blind him, why, he wouldn't recognize you. Did you use uh, a turkey call, or did you just go out and... I used a bone. I've got a bone. Mm-hmm. It, the little bone out of a turkey hen's wing is what we always use for the caller. Would you want to hear me try to yelp a little in it? Yes, sir. If you, sir. If you. Just, see, it's just a holler bone. Uh huh. Just a holler bone. Did it, you, you, you've heard turkey hen jail pageant? Uh-huh. Did you see him the imitator? What part of the turkey you said that, you get that? that come, that's the little bone out of a turkey hen's wing. Went up there, went up there that morning, the morning that I killed him, and I knew where he was roosted. So I got right in the frank gap, and he is sort of right down on the, under me on the devil prong side, what we call the devil prong of Kimsey Creek. And when I called to him while well, he answered me, I, wait, I waited till he flew, flew down on the ground off his uh-huh. roost and gobbled, and then I yelped and called just a little, and well, he, he gobbled back to me. Well, then I didn't do a thing till he just kept quiet till he walked out in shooting distance and killed him. They all have a, you know, one tree that they he, roost in? Or oh, no, they roost just about well, they'll, they'll be in, they'll work in the same section of the woods, maybe uh-huh. for quite a while at a time, but they'll roost in different, in different places. Uh-huh. They don't, no, they don't have no certain, no certain trees to, to roost in. Uh-huh. There wasn't no, there wasn't no way much to make money, and uh, you could dig a little ginseng and ship that, off to the market and get a little money in the fall of the year while pick up some chestnuts or maybe have a few apples and sell them. Something like that, I tell you. Money was really, back in them days, hard to get to come by. Back here, especially here in these mountains, it just didn't hardly exist. The biggest thing was we'd, we'd lo- we loved to go back out there in them mountains, about the only uh, enterprise there was of any kind. We'd go and fish. Fish and hunt. Spent that uh, that the biggest part of the leisure time was fishing and hunting. Mm-hmm. Do you think you know when somebody come in uh, that nature was a pretty good provider? I mean, did did it give them about everything they needed? And you had to take advantage of it. If they knew how to take the advantage, why they didn't have any trouble getting along, they could make it just make it fine. 
Well, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this month's podcast. Please join us next month for our final episode of our second season, which is hard to believe. Um, and we'll be looking forward to welcoming a new and brighter 2021. We hope you're all safe out there and finding ways to celebrate safely and healthfully this holiday season. If you feel so compelled, we please ask that you visit our Patreon page or visit our shop to donate and support our mission here at Foxfire. This is a season of giving, um, and we are giving lots and lots of thanks for all of you, our listeners. Um, but just a reminder that we are a nonprofit and we do depend on your kindness and your donations to continue our work preserving and protecting Southern Appalachian history. If you can't donate, that's okay. All we ask is that you share this with a friend, share it out to somebody who hasn't heard of it before and might enjoy it, or subscribe or like or leave us a review. All of those things help bring us to new listeners and again, continue to support our mission here at Foxfire. Anyway, happy holiday season and take care. We'll talk to you next time. If you don't like that, you can throw it away. I like it. <laughs>